Mindfulness Mode 420. And that's what meditation gave me, was to be able to be in the present moment, no matter what it looks like. Welcome back to Mindfulness Mode, Mindful Tribe. Today's guest has an incredibly beautiful property in California. I haven't seen it in person, but I have seen pictures of it. And I think you would agree it's a great place to go, a great place to enjoy some meditation. Hundreds of guests have recommended books on the Mindfulness Mode podcast, and I've pulled together the 12 most recommended books into a short 14-page ebook that's free for you. It's called 12 Must-Read Mindfulness Books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life, just like they have for my featured guests. Download this great free resource at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with Maggie Kelly. Mindful Tribe, I am so honored to have a wonderful guest today who is a tremendous teacher of meditation and, oh, there's just so much to share with you about Maggie. I'm with Maggie Kelly today. Hey, Maggie, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am always in mindfulness mode, Bruce. That's great. Maggie Kelly is a certified mindful life coach. And like I said, she's a wonderful meditation instructor. She's also the owner of a fantastic place called Satsang House, and it's a calming and relaxing meditation center located in a rural part of California. Maggie's method of incorporating mindfulness and meditation into her coaching sessions is what truly sets her apart from all the others. Maggie is also the host of the Life Illuminated podcast, and she's a sought-after public speaker. And I was recently featured on Life Illuminated, and that was exciting, Maggie. Maggie, let's start here. What does mindfulness mean to you? You know, I think in this day and age when we are we're kind of in this Google mentality where we think we can Google absolutely everything and get our answers instantaneously. I think it's important that we all stop and pause and breathe and return to a state of calm and a state of presence. I know that for myself, when I am in that mode of doing and get caught up in all of the things I have going on on my day to day that I myself have to stop and just pause and remind myself that, you know, we only have this moment, this minute, this minute, this minute. Yes. And I feel very calm being in your presence, Maggie. That's a good feeling because that's not always the case, but you send very calming vibes. That is for sure. Well, speaking of calming vibes, I'd love to talk about your wonderful, wonderful place where you bring people to meditate, the Satsang House. Tell me about this. How long have you had it and how did you acquire it? What's it like? Well, Satsang House is an extraordinary piece of property set on about an acre of land in a rural part of San Diego. And I've had the honor, really, of owning the property for 19 years, but only turned it into a meditation center about three years ago when I opened my business and began, began teaching meditation and being a life coach full time. So this is now my sacred space, my office, my 
It has everything I need, everything anyone would need to just stop and relax and enjoy today. It looks wonderful on your website, satsanghouse.net. There you are sitting on the porch, and I just want to come up the steps and say hi and meditate with you. It just looks so inviting. And tell me more about it. I know that you've got a little garden there. I know it's incredible. Tell us more about it. Well, that picture you're referring to is actually the steps to my office. And my office is set apart from the main meditation house. I do my mindful life coaching in the office. So there's a little more sacred space, a little more just really personalized attention to my clients. The remainder of the property is there's a quarter of the property is a full orchard. There's macadamia nuts and plums and apples and avocados and nectarines and peaches and all kinds of things. And then the middle part of the property is where the main meditation house is. And then the first quarter of the property is landscape and beautiful, you know, the entry for people to park and come on up. And what does one do if they want to come and spend time there? What's the process? Well, most of my clients come either to learn how to meditate for the very first time. Most most of them are, are in that category, but there are others who have been meditating for some time and just want a community space to come and be a part of satsang, really. And the word satsang in Sanskrit means a community of like-minded people joined together in search of the truth. So that's kind of what we do when we gather together. So I hold um, community meditations on a weekly basis, two to three times a week. I have classes and I also have special events where I'll have other people from the community come in. We'll do a group meditation and they will share whatever service they may have, which is typically music, different kinds of music. So it's a beautiful, beautiful space. And I know that you post these events on your website and Mindful Tribe, as you're listening to this, I want to just make sure that you know that it's spelled S-A-T-S-A-N-G and then house dot net. Go to the website and you'll see Maggie there. And it just looks like a, a fantastic place to, to be. Now, there must be a lot of maintenance for you with the macadamia trees and the oranges and the peaches and the nectarines and the plums. Tell me, how do you maintain this incredible place? Well, part of it, I do have help. And then there's once a month, I have what's called a seva. And that seva in Sanskrit means service part of the commitment to our community as a Sangha, as a group of people. And we come together and we have brunch and meditation together. And then we choose a part of the garden we want to nurture. And each person takes their own spot and they can bring their own tools. They can bring their own flowers. Somebody's welcome to take over the vegetable garden if they'd like. It really is the whole concept behind that is that you start to take ownership of this beautiful space as well. What a great idea. I think that's fantastic. Well, you studied with Deepak Chopra. Tell me about that. How did you become connected to him and what was it like to study with Deepak? Oh boy. Well, let's go back to how I got connected. You know, I was in a space of time in my life that was extremely difficult. I was a young mother of two and my youngest was born chronically ill with uh, cystic fibrosis, a chronic progressive life-shortening 
incurable disease. And I think at that time, I, I just, it was like getting hit over the head with an iron skillet. I just didn't, you know, I was kind of off center and off key and kind of wobbly and, um, talk about getting into that doing mode. I mean, I have two, I had two small children. My daughter was three years older, so she was three and he was a newborn. And I was in newborn mode, but also in what do I do about this child or this situation, knowing nothing about cystic fibrosis. And I'm sure your listeners don't either. Most people don't. There's only 30,000 people in the United States who have cystic fibrosis. So I had a big learning curve and a quick one. And, you know, I think as, as a mom or any parent, you think you're supposed to have the answers. You're supposed to know how it's going to turn out. You have this picture of what your family looks like or what it's going to look like. And I was really struggling with this picture that I had envisioned being destroyed. And that this was not the family that I had envisioned that I was going to have to essentially take a new picture and recreate the family. And I'm very organized. I'm pretty detailed. I like things to, you know, unfold as I think them. So this was really a very difficult struggle for me because cystic fibrosis is not something you can figure out. You can't plan on when he's going to be hospitalized or sick. You can't keep it from progressing and getting worse. You can't cure it. All you can do really is what there is to do today. So I originally went to Deepak because I woke up one morning just like I cannot continue to live in this steady stream of basically hyperventilating through my life getting on the phone with the insurance, with the doctors, worrying about, is does he have those medications? Does he have this medication? Is somebody sick around him? You know, just constantly waiting for the shoe to drop. And I just recognized in that time that I was not the person I wanted to be and certainly not the mother I wanted to be. I was angry, short-tempered, just always on edge. And I just knew something had to give and it had to start over here with me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remembered having read something that Deepak had written when I was in college years before. And I went to that book, which I still had. And in the back flap of the book, it said that he had a center for well-being right here in my own backyard. And so that's when I decided, okay, I'll just try something like that. Not realizing that every single course that Deepak starts with begins with the practice of meditation. And that was when I was first introduced to meditation. And I continued to take a few courses through Deepak and continued to do a lot of studying. And ultimately, after about, I think it was 11 years of all of that, I said, why do I keep taking more courses I'm going to teach? So I went back to get my certification from the Chopra Center to be a meditation instructor. And over time, I've been meditating now for going on 13 years, twice a day, every day, 30 minutes each. It has changed my life. It has completely and totally altered who I am, how I show up. It's changed me from being this reactionary, crazy woman to being someone who can pause and respond as opposed to react. 
And that comes naturally now. It's not like I have to work at it. Because I think intellectually we know, you know, I can't behave like this or I'm just kind of out of, you know, control or something's got to give. We know that intellectually, but you can't just say, okay, I'm going to stop acting like that and have that happen overnight. It just doesn't work like that. So the practice of meditation, I, I think, is what has saved me from myself, really, honestly. So that's how, that was a long road to how I got here, but that's how I got here. Did it change your ability to connect with others? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially my children and the doctors. Because I think, you know, when, when you have someone in your life, and some, some of your listeners probably do, you know, whether it's an aging parent or somebody who has cancer or Alzheimer's or what have you, when you have somebody in your life who you love, who is chronically ill with an incurable whatever, it's like living in a living grief. It's like you're mourning this person, even though they're alive and in your house. And so you still go through the same processes of grief that you would if they weren't here, except it's alive. So it's almost more painful. I just remember my heart hurting all the time. I just felt it in my heart all the time. I would see his adorable little face jumping on the swings or the trampoline or doing whatever he was doing then. And my heart would just hurt because you want to be able to live in the moment because that's what there is to do. And that's really all there is to do. But you also know that, you know, you only have this child for as long as you have this child and you don't have control. And, you know, that's the part I had the breakthrough in is the whole idea of control. Like I'm in charge somehow. And really, the biggest breakthrough for me was realizing, you know, how silly of you to think you were in charge. You're never in charge. (laughs) You know, it almost made me laugh at the arrogance of it. Like, you really think, Maggie, that you've got a handle on this, that you're going to run this show? So that was a really big awakening for me. I would say one of my very first awakenings was that. You didn't mention this. Did you have a a partner or were you a single mother? What was the situation there? I was married until my son turned about 11. He's 17 now. Um, And we're very good friends. His father and I are very good friends. He's a wonderful man. And, you know, he spends time here and all that. So there's no, you know, we still are very committed to partnering in parenting with the children for the children. But yes, at the, in the beginning, we were married until my son was about 11. My daughter was 13. Right. Tell me a story about one of your clients that you've helped to transition to a new place in their life. Maybe they were experiencing anxiety or stress or some other challenge. Oh, I've got a couple of really great examples. But one of the ladies who's been with me for years came to me originally because her doctor told her that if she didn't get her blood pressure under control, that she was probably going to end up with a heart attack. And he recommended meditation, which, first of all, I love to hear that doctors and therapists and other naturopaths are suggesting meditation. And people are actually starting to come to me because somebody else recommended that they do. So she came to me for that reason. And she's a retired elementary school principal. She has two children. 
both of her children are chronically ill with two different kinds of illnesses. So her stress level was way at the top. And we started working together now almost three years. And since then, her blood pressure is completely stable. She doesn't have to go on medications at all. And she's now able to, her kids are now in their mid-20s. She's starting to find her way with the life coaching on top of the meditation. She's starting to realize that it's okay to let go of these kids and let them fly. And that she doesn't need to hold on and try to control it herself. So that's one of the, one of one really nice example is that lovely lady. That's a great example. And I want to uh, ask you to expand on your style of coaching. I know that I mentioned already that you have a unique style of coaching, which incorporates meditation, but tell us about it. Well, as a life coach, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not going to give advice. I'm not qualified to give. And I'm not going to offer suggestions unless you specifically ask me. Really, what I do is I ask a lot of questions and then I keep my mouth closed and I let you think it through and process with enough time and presence and sacred space around you to be able to think through really what you are thinking and what brings you to thinking what you're thinking, where these roadblocks are coming from, where the limiting beliefs are stopping you from living the life that you love. There's something very magical that happens as a life coach when you ask a lot of questions and then just sit. Because when your client is able to hear themselves think out loud, it completely shifts everything. I think a lot of times we're so used to living up here in our heads and in our thoughts that we start believing every thought that we have running around there. And a lot of times we have a conversation internally with ourselves. Like, should I do this now? Maybe you shouldn't do that. It's not the right time for that. Oh yeah, but if you don't do that, you'll miss the opportunity. So we have these dialogues with ourselves inside of this crazy monkey mind. And for the most part, we believe the stuff we tell ourselves and the stuff that we're thinking. So the magic of coaching is... For you to be able to get that thought process out of your head and into the space. And for the most part, people aren't listening. Most of the time out there, we are so wrapped up in our own busyness and doing this that we do not hear each other. And no one really takes a lot of time to just sit face to face anymore. Everything is text, email, very seldom a phone call and very seldom face-to-face anymore, which is really a shame. But that's what's so beautiful about being a mindful life coach is I can bring presence back to the space, not only in as honoring the client and giving them the room to express themselves and not give them any answers or any solutions, but helping to continue to probe and dig and probe and dig until they come up with the answers on their own. There's a huge freedom in that, huge. And then to add the component of meditation in with the session gets them to hopefully slow down that internal dialogue before they walk out the door. How long is a typical session, Maggie? 90 minutes, 90 minutes. minutes. So an hour of coaching and 
25 to 30 or so in meditation, silent mantra-based meditation. Wonderful. Wonderful. Maggie, you talked about the grief that you experienced when your son was born and dealing with that. Have you been able to process that? Is that still something you're working on or how did you work through it? I think I worked through it in just the way I was suggesting that I got to a place where I realized I'm not in charge. And just and so it was in, about letting go then. Very much so. It was about about letting go and enjoying this moment. And that's what meditation gave me was to be able to be in the present moment no matter what it looks like. You know, whether it's joyful or sad, whether it's happy or someone's mad, to be able to just be present in the moment or whatever that moment looks like. Because I think without the ability to be present, I would constantly, knowing this person here, I would constantly be future tripping. I would constantly like, well, what about this? Or what happens if he does this? Or what happens if he gets sick? Or what happens if he's in the hospital for two weeks? Ah, And live my life out there instead of just living my life right here in this present moment, enjoying this beautiful soul in my presence. And also understanding that, you know, my son is not mine. He's on loan to me. And, you know, and God put this boy in my life to teach me something. And I'll have to tell you that this child, as well as my daughter, are my greatest teachers in life. Greatest teachers in life. And I can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow. And will it be ugly? Yes, it it likely will. And that's the realistic part of this whole nasty disease. But I'm not going to go there. I'm going to stay right here. And I'm going to enjoy that he's coming home from school at three. And we're going to have dinner together. And he loves his dog. And he plays volleyball. And he looks great. And he's been healthy for years. And, you know, taking stock of the, the great things that are going on today. That's beautiful. That really is. Apart from your experience with your son, what's been your biggest fear in your life? Hmm. I think before before I started meditating, I think I would have answered it differently than I would today. And I would have said that my biggest fear would be to get to my deathbed and look back on my life and say, geez, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I go there? Why didn't I do whatever it was when I had a chance or when I was younger or whatever? And today, I actually am seizing those moments because for me, it's far more important to take my kids on an amazing and uh, trip to Africa, to the Masamara, and have pictures and experiences than it is to give them a new scooter for Christmas. And to me, that is one of the biggest things that I have realized is that it's the memories, not the stuff. Oh, that's great. That's great. You mentioned that you've been teaching meditation, I think you said for around three years, didn't you? And that you had opened up Satsang House about three years ago. What did you do previous to that? (laughs) Previous to that, I was a crazy marketing executive for one of the largest media companies in the world. Time Warner. And I traveled four days out of five and I lived out of a suitcase. 
And I couldn't have pets or plants because I was never there to take care of either. And I was running around like a crazy woman. Wow, that's an incredible turnaround. How much courage did it take to leave that behind? A lot. (laughs) A lot. Because that was a big source of income. And when I did it, I didn't have anything to fall back on. But I just had some kind of, you know, I think it's a certain point in your life, if you're feeling some kind of pull, some kind of gnawing that whatever it is you're doing today in this moment, whatever job it is that you have, if it's not fulfilling and it feels like you're waking up in Groundhog's Day every day, perhaps it's time to rethink. Am I truly happy? Am I living here? Am I living the life that I think is of purpose and meaning and value? Because in the long run, we're not here to just spin our wheels and try to survive. We're here to thrive and to be excited and passionate about what we're doing and find whatever gift and talent it is that we have that can be of service in some way to humanity. Maggie, if you could live in any other country in the world besides the United States, where would that be? What a great question. Um, I don't know. I've been to Europe. I grew up in Europe. I've traveled in many parts of the world. I honestly don't think that I would settle any one place. I think I would probably be a traveling gal. I would travel from one country to another and never really stay longer than about two years. Because that's just the spirit I have of just wanting to meet other people in all different cultures and different places and experience the world. I think that says a lot about the kind of person you are. You're an explorer. You're a discoverer. That's great. Maggie, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese monk. He's incredible. He For really sure. is. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? You've already talked a bit about this, but can you sum it up? I'm steady. Steady, even, a lot more predictably calm. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Well, I think a lot of people don't realize that breath work is actually one of the eight limbs of yoga, and so is meditation. So pranayama or breath work is part of that experience. Most of us think that the, that yoga is just the postures. Yoga is, there's eight limbs of yoga. One of the limbs is your social behaviors and how you comport yourself in the world. Are you taking care of animals and making sure people aren't being abused? How are you on a personal level? Are you, do you have integrity and honesty and are you trustworthy? And then it comes down to the pranayama, the life force breath. That's the third limb of yoga. The fourth limb is the asanas or the actual postures. And the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth limbs of yoga have everything to do with meditation and what comes out of your practice of meditation. So pranayama and breath work is a very integral part of meditation and can be a meditation in and of itself. Maggie, if you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Oh, boy. I am a reader. And I got four or five books going at any one time. And I have a lot of favorites. One of my favorites is 
the heart of Buddhist teaching. Oh, Thich Nhat Hanh. That is like my Bible. I love that book. I love that book. It just centers me like right down to the core every time. Ah, that's beautiful. The heart of Buddhist teaching. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Can you recommend an app that either you use or maybe sometimes your clients do? Absolutely. I would highly recommend the Insight Timer. And you can get that free on the Apple downloads. It looks like a singing bowl with a black background. And it has over 4,000 meditations, anywhere from reducing anxiety, helping you sleep. There's some trainings. There's some teachings. There's a, there's a part of the app where it's just music. There's guided meditations. Or you can just use the timer itself, which is the only thing I use on this timer. I can't get distracted. I'm already distractible. So I just set the timer for however much time you have. It doesn't have to be a half an hour could be 10 minutes twice a day though i do recommend you bookend your day with meditation i love insight timer as well as a matter of fact i've got a bunch of guided meditations on there as well but yeah it's a wonderful wonderful app it's been wonderful talking with you today maggie and i know that we can find you online at satsang house s-a-t-s-a-n-g house.net check it out it's a beautiful website, and what you do is beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us today. Can we find you on social media as well? Of course. You can find me either under Maggie Kelly or under Stutzing House on Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much for being here on Mindfulness Mode, Maggie. And thanks for having me. My pleasure. Bye now. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must-read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on Mindfulness Mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.